that life is not just about physical health. It's about a spiritual connection with God that changes all of our insides and motivations where we begin to experience these fullness of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and even self-control. This marvelous fruit that happens as I'm attached, abiding in, walking with the one who calls himself the vine, the life, the way, all of meaning itself. Sometimes we function like a school branch. And the school branch is this idea of, of helping people understand how to read, helping them understand how to add things, helping them understand how to do specific areas. And we're involved in that teaching process. And the church does that. And we usually use the Bible itself as our text to teach them how to read. And as they learn how to read and they begin to read, then the question becomes, what did he mean by? And we have the opportunity to answer questions that are far, far deeper and far more meaningful than just I now can read this part of the word. I now can read this particular uh, book. I now can understand what my mom wrote down here years and years and years ago. So we function as a school branch periodically. But our intention is to help people both know and apply truth uh, to their lives. Sometimes we're a service branch. Uh, We have a lot of the service thing going here in Costa Mesa. I think I've seen more service uh, actions going on in Costa Mesa than anywhere I've ever been in my entire life. I've been throughout California. I've been in the Midwest. I've been uh, across the world. Costa Mesa has this uh, interesting uh, branch of God in which they are involved in trying to care for and stimulate and motivate people who are involved in homelessness, who are struggling with life itself and the ability simply to get up in the morning and, and deal with it. And Costa Mesa is involved in that service branch. And the church is involved in that. We provide food. And we provide some, some extra things here and there. And perhaps some clothing and other physical needs. And so we're involved in doing that. We go down to Mexico and provide these various things. And that's our service branch. But always in the back of it. I am the truth vine. You are the truth branches. Always in the back of it is we do this so that we might have an opportunity to introduce you to the one who can change your life and help you experience freedom from guilt and forgiveness forever. Because when that happens to you, everything changes. All of us here, when we experience that, everything changed. Suddenly life had meaning. We woke up the morning and we started saying, oh, good God, it's morning, as opposed to a lot of other things we used to say when we woke up in the morning. That was this immense, incredible change. And probably the bottom line is we become this military branch. And that's where we set people free from this kingdom of sin and death and move them into a kingdom of life and hope and meaning and purpose and direction. Yeah, hallelujah is right and truth. And that's abide in me, I in you, you will bear much fruit. And so what I want to talk about today before we share in a time of communion and closing is this issue of how can we be a a branch? How can we specifically branch out as people? And and the first I said, well, we need to be lookout branches. We need to be branches that are looking out, speaking the truth to one another. We're looking out branches. Ephesians 4.25 says, stop telling lies. How many of you have a problem with lying? Tell the truth. 
Come on. I don't like looking bad. I would rather be silent and thought intelligent than to speak up and remove all doubt. And sometimes that's a lie. Lying comes easily to me. Hey? When I was a young man, I was a natural liar. I found out people believed me when I talked. Despite the fact that I was blatantly lying. The scripture says, stop that. Stop telling lies. Start speaking truth. Look out for one another's interests, not just your own. Stop lying and saying, I'm really interested in you. Start being interested. Start. Look out for one another's. I need people who will defend me, who will protect me at times, who will stand up for me, who will help me stay on track, who will warn me, who will watch out for me. And that's a kind of a countercultural statement in the U.S. It's more like the political things going on. We watch this and they're just picking on each other. I said, tell me your positions. We're picking on one another. I don't want to hear about your thoughts concerning why he isn't capable or they're not capable. I want to hear why you think you can make a difference. Stop lying. You know the old statement, how do you know when a politician is lying? He opens his mouth, exactly. I go, ah, that's not true. But it has enough truth to it that we find ourselves in this irritating position. So we need to watch out for one another so we also don't fall into that trap of speaking lies as opposed to living out truth. Truth says, I want you to look out for other people's interests. It's like we're the official neighborhood watch for one another. When I go on vacation, I ask my friends that are close by, I say, will you please look after my stuff? If a truck pulls up and starts emptying things out of my house, it's not me. They go, okay, yeah, so call the police immediately, please. Oh, okay, good. Look out for our stuff. But in relationship to our spiritual walk, many of us are scared to be accountable to somebody else and say, well, you look out for my spiritual walk? Would you call me? So accountability, I know a lot of men, we're always saying, uh, you know, be accountable to me, uh, recognize uh, that I have certain needs in my life. And if I do this, please hold me accountable. And then you know what happens when you do? It's brutal. <laughs> like, dude, who are you to judge me? I'm going, what? what are you talking about? You asked me to tell you when and now it's like, I'm the bad guy. I'm the good guy. I'm speaking to you because you asked me to speak truth into your life. And here's the truth about what's happening. I don't think you can see it. How many of you had taillights or stoplights out in your car? You know, they didn't work. Yeah, and, and you go, okay, they, they weren't working. When did you know? Somebody told you. You can't tell otherwise. Well, unless the policeman told you. That's no fun. Oh, great. I got nailed on that one. We need people to tell us when our taillights are out, when there are blind spots, areas in our life we don't even realize are moving in that direction. We think we're just fine. They say, no, 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 no. You're doing this. It's probably not going to end up real well for you. Really? Yeah. If you're an alcoholic, it's probably not good to keep walking by the bar. Eh? 
this is probably not a good thing. Which I'm just walking down the street. Yeah, but notice the street you're walking down. Let's change directions. Let's, let's go in a different direction. Let me help you do this. We speak truth one to another. We all have blind spots. A while back, I literally, I got this card and it said, Pastor Lee, your zipper was open last week. <laughs> you notice I wear long tails now? It's a good trick, isn't it? Now, here's my only comment on that. It doesn't do me any good after the fact. The entire service, all of you were sitting there going, his zipper is down. You didn't hear a thing I said the entire message. Just, his zipper. Sound guys, come up. Yeah, come up and say, Lee, there's something wrong with your sound. Come here a minute. <laughs> Whatever it takes, I'll stop. We need to be warned sometimes that we're out of, we're out of line. People need to speak out for one another. Look out for one another's interests. Speak up. Secondly, in that same vein, uh, the scripture says you need to watch out for Satan. It says stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Seeking someone to devour. Now, my only problem with that is people get weird ideas about what he's referring to. The, the scripture, what he's talking about, there is a real live Satan. He's just, he's just as live as Jesus is. He's a powerful being who is able to manifest himself in a variety of different ways. We saw that to Jesus in a variety of things throughout the Old and New Testament. And he's a, dece- he's a deceiver. He's all about lying and deceiving and tempting. And he uses a world system that's caught up in that same thing. And this system is caught up trying to deceive you, tempting you to, to lie and to cheat. And you say things like, well, I had to do that because if not, I might lose my job. I've got to lie about these things because of this. I've got to act in this way and steal this because of this. And I go, no, you don't. No, no, you don't. In fact, you shouldn't. But all the other, don't worry about the other guys. Speak the truth. Abide in the vine. Watch the fruit. It'll be amazing. Now, don't do it like a jerk. Do it in love. Do it in love. Respond appropriately. Because Satan is always about trying to get you angry and depressed. He wants you to miss God's will. He wants you to be impatient. He wants you to be lustful. He wants you to be worried and depressed and fearful. He wants you to reject faith and God's movement in your life. He goes around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And that's how he devours us. Deludes us. He goes for our weakness. He doesn't care who he hurts. Collateral damage is his middle name. Hey, he just wants to hurt things. It's all he's about. That's his desire. That's his intention. And when you're fighting the devil, sometimes you just need you kind of push back. You got to push back. You say, well, what, what, Pastor, what are you talking about? I said, how many of you have habits that you're having a hard time breaking? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. That, that was nice of you to raise your hand, but yeah. Uh, we all know we got habits that we, you know, I, I, there's habits that you find. I, I can't break this particular habit. I have these, these hurts that I just can't forgive. Remember my mom at the last days of her life, and she said, I can't forgive him for what he did. I said, Mom, you're dying. You're going to be dead in about a week. Literally, I said that, you know. Typical soft pastoral caring. <laughs> she looks at me like, huh? And I go, you need to forgive him now. I forgave him. You need to forgive him. I will now. I said, now, Mom. Well, I said, I'm your pastor now, not your son. Forgive. We have hurts 
that are so painful. How could he have done that to me? How could she have done that to me? And we say, I'll never forgive them. And that's Satan and this world system telling you it's okay. Jesus says, it's not okay. The truth says, forgive them. Move on with your life. I have a plan and a purpose. I have an intention. And you can use that hurt, that pain in your life to provide somebody else with support and strength and understanding that you could never have done before. I just shared with a brother here and he'd gone through some difficult times. And he, he said, I look back at this, this things that went on in my life and, and I, look, I say, how did that happen? How could I have thought that way? How could that have been? Have you ever had a panic attack? Anybody ever had a panic attack? You can raise your hand on that one. Anybody, panic attack? And, and people who've never had a panic attack I look at you like, what's wrong with you? Panic attack? When you have one, you'll be able to empathize. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll figure it out then. You'll go, whoa, anxiety attacks. Yeah. Oh, what, what's happening here? That's, Satan wants to draw us into those, and they're often the product of not living out truth. And falling into lies, begin to believe them, and they begin to destroy us. Problems, circumstances, relationships that mess up your life. It's, it's all indirect. He's just trying to mess you up. And we're often defeated. Why? Because we try to do it on our own. We don't let other people close to us and around us. We don't listen when they tell us to look out. But we're called to keep repeating that to them. Keep repeating it. Tell them, look out. You need people in your life who are looking out for you. That's why Peter says the most important thing in life is deep love. Deep love. Invasive love. It's the love of a parent that isn't just going to let people get away with it. Going to call you to task and say, you're not going to do that. Who are you to tell me that? I'm your dad. Okay. I guess you can tell me. Because we recognize that that kind of love calls us out, speaks the truth. And we need that kind of love one for another. Dad, I love you enough to make you mad at me for calling you out. See, that's the directive of Scripture. Speak out. Don't be shallow. Go deep. God wants to pour His love through His branches. And when we speak the truth and we look out for our brothers, watch out for Satan. Be the branch. Turn to the person next to you and say, Be the branch. Be the branch. That's our mantra for the day. I'm going to be the branch. You know, Lord, be the branch. Remember that when you're watching the game and the Panthers start beating up on the Broncos? Be the branch. I say that because I'm a Bronco fan, you know, that's why I'm preparing myself and say, Lord, it'd be wonderful. Peyton could go out in glory. It'd be good for me. I'd like that. But I'm going to be the branch. Regardless, I'm going to be the branch. Yeah, the, the third thing we talk about looking for the lost, you need to speak the truth to those who don't know Jesus. Randy, why don't you come up here for a minute? Randy Strait has a, become a, a, a better friend of mine. We've been involved in discipling lately and sharing about how we can interact with God, how we can, uh, you might say, be a branch. Huh? And we've had some great times as we've looked in God's Word. And just this last week, as we continued to walk down the way, some experience happened to him with, some of his, with one of his friends. And he came to share with me how he found himself interacting with him. Because he looked at him and he said, in other words, I see you as a branch, 
there's fruit coming out of your life. What happened? What is it that you've got? I'm envious of you. What is this all about? You can take it from there, Randy. Well, um, our friends visited two weeks ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. And um, I was in their wedding. They were in our wedding. So we go back 40 years now. Wow. And he and I used to make uh, furniture together, clocks together. And, uh, we were young men together. We, we had a good time. We um, shared a lot of things when we were young, told a lot of stories, had a lot of adventures. They got married, him and his girlfriend, and um, moved back to Seattle. And how things go, uh, they went on with their lives, and we went on with our lives. But that was a special friend. This was a guy that, that uh, meant a lot to me. And... Um, and You'll know what I'm talking about in a second. Years went by. Decades went by. And I had an opportunity to go up to Seattle and um, do some business. I was going to be there about a week. And we decided, Patty and I, to maybe make a vacation out of it. So we contacted them. And they said, you're staying at our house. I said, okay. We did that. The first night, we went out to the back balcony. And I and his two boys... He has uh, a 34-year-old and a 28-year-old. We have a 28-year-old daughter. And so we shared some of our stories and some of our lives. We told the boys some of our adventures, cracked them up a little bit. And it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and we didn't even know it. It was just like old times. That was a good connection. So two weeks ago, that was two years ago, two weeks ago they came down stayed a couple of nights with us. And we went out and had a couple of dinners, and, and we told some more stories and chuckled. And he and I went down to the beach. We sat down on the bench, and it got silent. And this is unusual for us. We sat there. Pretty soon he said, I'm envious. Right, right over the top of my head. I said, you got a great house. Got a view like this. You're overlooking... Puget Sound, you've been there since 78. No, 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 of your relationship. I said, Teresa and you are great. You have that same back and forth whip and all that? He said, no, no. God. And I did not see that coming at all. And I closed my eyes and I said, help me. Help him. So I told him my story. I told him the burdens that I had that were on my shoulder. And he had shared with us his burdens. And his were heavy. The loss of friends, the loss of children. And a part of him believes it's his responsibility that he was part of the loss of a life. And I told him, God's in control. It's not your decision. It wasn't your act. It wasn't your advice. God's in control. And I said, I'm going to pray for you. And I, I bowed my head, and right then and there, 
I prayed for him. That God would come into his life and lift the burden that he has. And I know it can be lifted. And I asked God to help me help him. And he said, thank you very much. And it was, this is a guy, (laughs) this is a guy where he and I, I'm a hugger. And he is not. (laughs) So for the third time in about 40 years, I grabbed hold of him and gave a big hug. And I can just see his eyes rolling in the back of his head. But he hugged back. And that was a, that's a movement, you know, that, that was a, a breakdown for him. He's texted me. He told me that part of my advice to get a hold of a couple of guys, Christians, that, that were in his sport that he's into would help him. And I said, I'm here for you. My door's open. My ears open. My heart's open. Uh, but maybe you need somebody right next to you as well. You need to surround yourself because this is a big time for him. And uh, so he's he's involved in that right now. And the other day I wrote him a letter. I put it in my Bible, my study Bible. And I sent him a little tract that Pastor Eddie told me about that we have back in there back there for new Christians. And I mailed him my Bible with that. And I'm waiting. I'm in the middle of it. I don't know what I need to do next, but I'm going to let God take care. What's his name? Sandy. Sandy. Yeah. Father, we pray for Sandy right now. We ask, as you've started to work in him, that you'll continue it. That you'll stir him powerfully by your Holy Spirit. That you'll drop him to his knees. And that he will experience the wonder of you. Lord, today, today we pray that that would take place. And he'll begin that amazing journey discovering truth. Thank you as you take care of that. We ask that blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Randy. Appreciate it, buddy. Give him a hand. We're to be branches that, that speak out, that are involved in the process of, of looking out for people that are lost, of looking out for evil, for Satan, for all those things that are happening, of looking out for one another. And, and that's one primary aspect of this, this picture or idea that we're to be involved in as being the branches for God. Uh, there's just a second thought that I had here that I wanted to share as, as we kind of pull this together. And that's the second part is that we need to be lift out branches, lifting out. And what I mean by that is that we need to be sharing truth. We need to be sharing truth on a regular basis. So, how does that work itself out? Acts 2.32 says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and sharing everything that they had to anyone that had need. Sharing everything they had to anyone who had needs. And people ask me, well, what kind of truth do I need to be sharing, Lee? Let me share you some truth that you need to be sharing. First is you need to share true experiences. You, you got to hear Randy's experience as, as he shared what God and how God used him to share with one of his friends. You need to hear those things from one another. It triggers us. It gives us insight. Now, I don't want you to share your battle experiences in Vietnam if you weren't there. Okay? Now, I say that because there's a senator who's in trouble because he was doing that. And it, I'm going, 
True experiences, folks. True experience. Don't don't be a newscaster who tells you how this took place and when it didn't happen. Speak truth. That's sufficient. You don't need any more. The experience that God has given you is the one that he wants you to share. And in that process, you'll find yourself sharpening one another. As iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen one another. It's incredibly wise to learn from the experiences of other people because you don't have time to make all the mistakes yourself. All right? The one thing that I keep learning, the older I get, the more I learn, is that other people have phenomenal experiences that they can share with me and stop me from doing something stupid. And I am regularly... I hate to share this truth, but it's true. I am regularly open to doing stupid things. I'm amazed by some of the stupid things I'm ready to do. And I go, how did that happen? I don't know. It's a stupid cloud that goes over me. I don't know what it is, but it comes into play. And here's the truth. You all are the same way. You are. But if you get people around you who've had that experience, they'll tell you, don't do that. Here's what I did. Here's what happened. This is how you can respond. You go, oh, my. So you can learn a lot quicker if you learn from the experiences of others. We're all ignorant just on different subjects, just on different subjects. See, I know some things that you don't know. I know that amazes some of you, but it's true. And you know many things I don't know. So I want to try and get that from you, but I need you to share it with me. Share your experience on a regular basis basis you see and this is the next thing the person who's sitting next to you knows things that i don't know and that you don't know turn to the person and say to them true that true that true that yeah if it's your spouse i guarantee she's nodding her head while she says it true that yeah there it is folks share your true experience with others be involved in it. It's a wonderful, freeing thing to speak truth one to another about our experiences. Then you need to share your true problems. This is the one I don't like. We need to share our true problems. When you share a joy, it's doubled. When you share a problem, it's cut in half. Share your troubles with one another. Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. You need to share your true problems. You don't have to fix everybody's problems. You just need to listen to them. God does the fixing, okay? We're called to be listeners. Because sometimes it's difficult to believe God is listening. He is. But if you become a person who sits in his place, it's a wonderful thing. Will you simply listen to the person, share with you their true problems? Their true problems. Sometimes it's easy for them other times, it's incredibly difficult. Okay? You don't got to fix them. You just need to listen to them. And last week, we heard a lot of sharing. You heard, remember the testimonies? Wasn't that fun last week? We heard all those different testimonies. Different people got to share about how God had moved here and God had done this and God was involved in that. And some of you were crying out there and we're wiping our tears off. And there's this wonderful sense of truth permeating when we get involved in hearing and listening to the struggles of people around us. So we meet together, we make that a regular habit, and as we do that, 
we get to experience this opportunity to hear and to share true problems. And the last point I want to share today is we're to share our true faith. Share our, our true faith. The only thing that counts, Paul says, is faith expressing itself in love. I was at a memorial service yesterday with, with Kurt and, and Debbie, and we were remembering his mom and discussing uh, how she affected his life and who she was and what took place there. And friends gathered together to share a bit. And so we talked and shared. And after that, we went over to their house and we got to have some food. That's why I'm getting fatter. Okay, and so we enjoyed the food because it's required as a pastor for you to eat the food that people put in front of you. And, and it was really good on top of it. So uh, we enjoyed that time together. But as we were talking, one person sat next to me and they shared what they I, happens to me regularly. And it probably happens to you. And they said, you know, I just feel like all religions and all people that have kind of a sort of general faith and idea about goodness and kindness and love, it all just works out together. It really doesn't matter what you believe. You don't want to say that to me. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be nice. It was a funeral. Okay. So I'm softening myself down. I'm going, bring it down, Lee. Bring it down. And so I began to share with the person, well, here's the truth. It doesn't matter to me what religious system you align yourself with as long as you recognize that Jesus gave his life up on a cross as God sent him purposefully to do so that he might become a sacrifice for our sins and provide us with the opportunity to have a relationship with God and forgiveness for the wrong that we had done and that we'll continue to do. And as you recognize him and call him Lord and Savior of your life, after that, I'm not concerned what church you're sitting at, what church building you sit at. It doesn't bother me in the least. I may think you're dumb for going there, but as long as you believe that basic truth, because I don't believe that God sent his son just on a whim to die for us because he thought it would be a good thing to do. And they kind of went, oh, oh, oh. And we went on about our business. Now, I said it's softer than that. But that's what I said. And the reason I said it is because I don't want them to be deceived by beginning to go into this rationalization of one another, being tolerant to one another, and never speaking truth. Because there comes a point in time when you just need to speak up and say, you know something? That thought and idea will send you straight to hell. And I would rather not see you go there whether I like it or not. So I'm going to speak up and I'm going to try to do it in love. I'm going to ensure that it's as soft as I possibly can give it to you. But I want you to hear it. All right? Today is Super Bowl Sunday. You all knew it. It was in the back of your head all along. You're thinking, the game is coming up, Pastor. Don't go long. I know what you're thinking. But I have something special for you today. When we talk about faith and going through our problems, we share these things. I want you to listen to, we're going to hear two testimonies. One from a fellow who is going to be soon a Hall of Fame quarterback. His name is Drew Brees. He was here before. He came from this area. Wonderful guy. And he talks about his response when he went into a very difficult situation in his life and how God brought about great good out of a very, very difficult time. And his statement was this. He did it as I depended on him in faith. Not because I could see the right thing, but I just believed that God had directed me, had put us in this place, and therefore 
we're going to do what he's telling us to do. Let's listen. Welcome to Football Sunday 2016. I'm here at the site of Super Bowl 50, Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, California. And we are so excited to be part of your Super Bowl Sunday. We hope you're encouraged and challenged. This is Football Sunday, and it all comes down to this. As an ex-NFL quarterback, I understand and appreciate the journey to the Super Bowl. But all of us appreciate how hard it is to face the uncertainty of a big decision. We just want to be in control. Drew Brees is a future Hall of Fame quarterback that trusted Christ in the midst of the biggest professional decision of his life. This is a story. My fifth season, going into an offseason in which I did not have a contract, I was going to be a free agent, I get hurt the very last game of the 2005 season with the San Diego Chargers. I never dislocated anything in my life, but I knew exactly what happened. And I knew, too, that besides maybe like a broken neck or something, that that is the absolute worst injury that I could ever have asked for for a quarterback. As I'm walking off the field with my shoulder stuck like this because it was dislocated, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm probably never going to put on a Charger uniform again. And then it hits me that, you know, I might not ever play football again. A few short months later, uh, my wife and I were taking a visit to uh, New Orleans, uh, who was six months post-Katrina, and we're just looking at the, the sheer devastation and just saying, I'm not going to trust what I see with my eyes here because my eyes are telling me not to come here. <laughs> and yet my heart, my soul... The Lord is telling me that this is our calling. Uh, it's not about just coming to play football and be a part of the resurgence of a, a football team or an organization, but it's about the resurrection and rebirth of a city, and we can be a part of that. We score the Colts are driving, we get the interception, we go score, now we're at 14 with three minutes left, and yet you're still thinking, I know Peyton Manning, I know this this team. In your mind, you're going through all these scenarios of what you're going to have to do still, and then we get the ball back um, to basically take a knee to win the game, and it wasn't until that moment that, all right, we are world champions. I think we as, as people, we want to see and touch and feel in order for it to be real for us. And yet, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, I'll tell you, you'll be led by faith and not by sight. You know, so much of life is that. It's, it's faith in God, knowing that He's got a plan. And at times you don't understand it, and you're not going to see it. Um, and yet you just have to trust Him. You have to have faith. We've got one more testimony that I want you to hear because I think it's even more effective in terms of grabbing a hold of us in relationship to truth. You see, that one talked about how Drew was called to a particular position, an opportunity, which he was able to use powerfully, that God used him, even to the place of helping them win the Super Bowl. That was great. Happy about that. But this story is one that's not quite as victorious. But it is one that brings us back to the cross. 
in a recognition of what Christ has done for us. And as soon as this one finishes up, I'm not going to say anything. I just want you to find your spots, come down to the right side, or go back to the back section there. And I want you to touch the cross. And you're going to have a word to say at that point in time. I don't know what it's going to be, but you're going to have a word to say. Touch the cross, say that word, whatever it is that God gives you. And then we're going to share in this special time of communion and rejoice in the sacrificial gift that God has provided us with his son, giving us life through his death. Let's watch this. Many of you know Trent Dilfer as a Super Bowl winning quarterback with the Baltimore Ravens and now football analyst with ESPN. But you don't know him as a dad and a husband. I want to introduce to you my friend Trent Dilfer. This is his story. In 2003, my son Trevin uh, was five and a half at the time. We were at Disneyland for a family vacation. And uh, we went down to Disneyland, doing the Disneyland thing, and he gets a cold. You have four kids, kids get sick, it's never fun, but you kind of develop a rhythm for when they're going to bounce back. And uh, he wasn't bouncing back. Uh, even on the ride home, you know, we couldn't cheer him up. He had real listless, real, like, had no energy, and his skin color was different, so we'd take him to the emergency room, and they weren't real worried. They did some blood work, and they, they gave him a bunch of fluids, and, you know, they said he was dehydrated, and, and maybe they were going to look at him overnight because there were some possible signs in the blood work of some hepatitis possibilities and but it was like one of those okay everything's fine i mean nobody was panicked so i was to go home and uh and be with the other three girls it's not i mean i'm not home for five minutes i get this call that hey uh, on the way to the hospital your son's heart stopped I run in, and, and the, the first thing I remember seeing is a team of doctors um, all hovering over my son and, you know, trying to resuscitate him. Shortly thereafter, Dr. Rushstall said, oh, great news. We had one nurse that was able to keep his heart pumping enough for us to put this ECMO unit on him, which is a heart-lung bypass machine. Over the next, I want to say, six to eight hours it became but he can't stay on this unit here he has to be transported all the medical transport units for this machine are in Iraq because we just started the war he can go to Stanford he can go to University of Michigan but we can't get him to either great friend drove us in the suburban behind the ambulance and it was the worst two and a half hour drive in the history of the world because every bump you went over we weren't sure if he made it and now he's in ICU he's on this heart lung bypass machine uh, we set up what they called Camp Trevin uh, at Lucille Packard and with so many people that just loved us. They basically just stopped their lives. I mean, that's where I... So many people laid down their lives um, in a sense to love on us and to care for us in this time. And, and uh, 
He was on this machine for 40 days at Stanford. moments in my life is when we found out that we had to take Trevon off life support. We're staying in this little back room, these cots at Lucille Packard. We went back there, we prayed together, and she goes, can you leave me alone for a little bit? And I said, sure, and I walked out. I've never heard a, a, a scream of more pain than I heard from her. It was like through two walls into another room, and she was crying out to God. I was so amazed that she had the maturity to be willing to scream out to God. Terrific, and I'm not here to say it's not, but... What's equally awesome is that we have a God that um, volunteered that for His Son on our behalf. our service in this time of communion. I asked some of my elders to come down here and get a spot. Byron, you want to take over here?